0: Greetings, and welcome to this podcast from Cambridge Health Tech Institute for the 14th annual Pep Talk, the Protein Science Week, happening January 19th through the 23rd, 2015 in San Diego, California. I'm Ann Wynn, Associate Conference Producer. We're chatting today with one of our speakers from the Recombinant Protein Expression and Production and Cells Conferences, Dr. Nathan E. Lewis, Assistant Professor at the Novo Nordisk Foundation Center for Biosustainability at UCSD School of Medicine in San Diego. Nathan, welcome, and thank you for your time. Please with you today. Can you describe the partnership between your group at UCSD and Novo Nordisk Foundation Center for Biosustainability based in Denmark? Um, that is, what are your goals and activities together for enhancing recombinant protein expression and production processes?
1: Well, this is kind of an interesting setup we have here. So the Center for Biosustainability is funded by the Novo Nordisk Foundation out in Denmark. And in this, they're really trying to see about if we can use systems biology and synthetic biology techniques to improve the production of a number of molecules. Now, in 2013, they started a mammalian systems and mammalian cell host engineering arm to the center. And here in San Diego, we are a satellite center for biosustainability. In particular, in my research group, we're focusing on the Chinese hamster ovarian cells themselves. And so some of the major goals that we're trying to accomplish here is that, well, for decades, CHO cells have been the primary mammalian host cell for a protein production, and this has been for a number of reasons. One of it is just early on, they produce protein well, and at high quantities. They were easy to be adapted to serum-free medium, suspension growth, and so forth. They also make post-translational modifications that tend to be more compatible with humans themselves, and so there's less immunogenetic response and so forth. But at the same time, they have the advantage of being different enough from humans that there's less of a concern for adventitious agents and so forth. And so for decades they've gone through the regulation hurdles and they've done well and kind of been the primary host cell line for biotherapeutic production. And thus industry has really tailored a lot of the a lot of the bioprocessing to CHO cells. There's a limitation however with Chinese hamster ovarian cells It's kind of been a the challenge these last few years is that They've kind of looked at Chinese hamster ovarian cells kind of like a black box because they haven't had the resources to be able to look inside of it. Now, when I say that, they basically they say the way that bioprocessing has been working with CHO cells is they have been focusing very heavily on the inputs into this black box. They can put in different media. They can put in different a very well-defined construct with the recombinant protein, with the gene of the recombinant protein. And then they basically just hit that black box after putting everything in there and screen for whatever they want to come out. And so this has worked quite well. We've been able to get very high titers, very uh, high quality products in this process. But there's some cases where there's going to be some difficult to express proteins, or some cases where we really need to control the post-translational modifications, other product quality attributes. And unfortunately, the resources you need to do to build these are quite expensive, and in either resource, uh, time, and so forth. And so companies which tend to, to focus on a few month timescales have not been able to invest, make the investments into that. So here we have the Center for Biosustainability. We are detached enough from industry, but close enough to industry at the same time that we can invest large amounts of time and money into building up the infrastructure needed to make revolutionary changes in the way we do biotherapeutic production. Basically, we're looking at being able to deal with timescales of a couple of years for the uh, development of new platform strains, new platform tools, and so forth. And so that's what we're focusing on here. And this started um, a couple of years ago with the publication of genome sequences for the cho K1 cell line and then the Chinese hamster and a number of other cell lines. And so as with a CFB, basically what we're doing now is we're developing a number of other resources, including, including knockout libraries of different CHO cell lines. We're doing deep characterization of various properties of CHO so that we can figure out exactly how to start engineering the cells themselves to gain a much tighter control on the product quality attributes. And so that's kind of where we're at with the Center for Biosustainability. It's really setting up the platforms needed that will take a few years to build that will make major changes in how we do cell line development.
0: Sounds great. What led you to focus your research on CHO cells?
1: Well, it kind of started a little over 10 years ago. I was a student in a lab, and it was a proteomics lab, and we were in a lab meeting, and one of the master students started complaining about this protein they were expressing. Just because they wanted to understand this protein, they wanted to figure out which peptides were post-translationally modified on this protein. And they started complaining about the fact that there was no Chinese hamster ovarian genome. And they were saying, everyone uses psyllids, why isn't there one? It comes down to that no one would fund the sequencing of the Chinese hamster genome in part because no government agency had as much money as Big Pharma did. And Big Pharma, on the other hand, if they were going to sequence it, they weren't going to make it public. And so fast forward about six years, I was at one point consulting for GT Life Sciences out here in San Diego. And they were trying to uh, apply systems biology techniques to CHO cells. And so they brought me in to help with their metabolic model. And at the same time, they managed to get some RNA sequencing data, some exome data, and we were associating that with finally being able to get some of the genetic bases of CHO cells linked to its metabolism. In the discussions, however, we brought in BGI and convinced BGI to sequence the CHO K1 genome. And they sequenced it really quickly. Within a matter of months, we had it sequenced. And... In the talks there, we just decided, well, you know what? We should just do the Chinese hamster, too. And so we did that in parallel and then brought in a whole bunch of different cell lines and sequenced those also. And so I had the chance to help lead, along with others, these efforts. And that kind of brought me into the CHO back in the Cho world. So, of course, going back to my friend in 2004, I was happy to send him the paper of the Cho K-1 genome, although it was about eight years too late for <laughs> for his master's degree. So that was a really exciting time. We were able to get the genome sequence and thus starting to enable the ability to use a lot of the tools we have for different expression systems. We could start to using those for CHO cells at that point. And then the biggest thing that happened, however, was in 2013 when the Nova Nordics Foundation decided to fund the mammalian side of the Center for Biosustainability at DTU. And with that, in 2014, this past year, UCSC recruited me to help lead this in silico satellite of the Center for Biosustainability. I think really what really led me to focus on CHO cells was when I realized, when I was thinking about it, about what enabled systems biology to make a huge difference in microbial engineering. And that was in about 15 years ago when they sequenced the, the E. coli genome. They developed computational models, of genome scale models of its metabolism, and then, in parallel, some really nice genome editing techniques were developed for E. coli. And I could see over that previous 10, 15 years that there had been numerous applications where people had been able to engineer microbes to produce useful chemicals. And I was thinking about it, when I was thinking about continuing into the Cho area, I realized we had those three elements in Cho now. We had the sequence, the genomic sequence, so we knew the genetic basis of what CHO does, and we can be able to start working with it. At the same time, we were developing a computational model of all of the metabolic pathways in Chinese hamster ovarian cells. And then, at the same time, I was working with George Church out in Harvard when the CRISPR-Cas9 system was being developed. And I realized we were at finally a stage where we had genome editing techniques that would be easy to implement in CHO cells, and allowing us now with these three elements, with the genome, with computational models of how the cells function, and editing techniques, we could finally start engineering the host cell lines in a very rational manner to really control product quality. And so when it came to that realization, I decided that, yes, this is definitely where my group is going. We're going to pull our efforts into this.
0: And you'll be sharing some of your research on identifying targets for engineering protein secretion in CHO cells with systems biology on January 22nd. What's the main theme you intend to share?
1: Well, so protein secretion is a very large and complex system. It starts with the genome. You have the genomic sequence. It will send your constructs out, and eventually they'll get translated into the ER, folded in there with the help of numerous different proteins that check, that help folding, check quality start doing some of the protein modifications, and then they get passed on to the Golgi where you get continued modification and processing of these proteins before eventually they get secreted from the cell. And so it's a very complex process that involves actually the concerted effort of thousands of different genes. So basically, any efforts to kind of hit one gene at a time to engineer protein secretion are going to be really difficult. You will find there will be certain chaperonins or certain metabolic enzymes that will be very important for improving yields and quality of the product and so forth. But it's really difficult to take this at a a one-gene-at-a-time approach. And so what my group has been focusing on is we've been building, in addition to having helped sequence the genome, and we've been sequencing additional cell lines and making sense of that, we've also been building computational models of metabolism, protein secretion, so the activity going on in the ER and Golgi, and glycosylation. And so basically what I'll be presenting, some of the studies we've looked at in these systems alone, and then some efforts that we are at integrating them together. So, for example, we're leading an effort with several other leading researchers in the CHO community. That includes Nicole Borth's group out at Boku, and Dongyip Lee in Singapore, and Lars Nielsen in Australia, Mike Biedenbaugh in Johns Hopkins, and then others like Mikhail Rodham-Anderson at DTU, several of these groups. We're working with them all to make a high-quality metabolic network reconstruction. Basically, what this is is we have great detail, all of the metabolic reactions that we know about that are going on inside the CHO cells. So then we can start to use these for computational modeling simulations of how does the media affect the growth and protein production? How can we remove the secretion of chemicals that will influence the growth of the CHO cells and product quality and so forth. And so just as some initial simulations that we've done, we've been able to try to answer the question as to whether or not different treatments that people use to improve product yield, if they are pushing the cells to their capacity for protein secretion and which treatments tend to have the greater effect on getting as much protein out of a CHO cell as you can. And so in the process, we looked at different treatments like sodium butyrate, different overexpression and knockouts of different protein secretion pathway members to see which treatments are getting us near the limit. And we found that sodium butyrate treatment really is only pushing you to maybe 10% of the theoretical maximum protein production, whereas other treatments are pushing you a lot higher dealing with the protein secretion pathway. And so that's one example of something that I'm going to share. We're also looking at how different mutations in the CHO cells influence protein production. And then lastly, I think I'll probably touch upon some recent work in which we are trying to integrate metabolism, glycosylation, and the protein secretion pathways to make computational models where we can account, for example, the amount of the cost of different materials, amino acids, sugar nucleides, and so forth on glycosylation and translation and protein secretion. And so my talk will cover a lot of these different aspects of what can we actually learn about the CHO cells by looking at all of the pathways at the same time and what sort of predictions can we get on how to improve protein secretion.
0: Sounds wonderful. Well, we're looking forward to digging even deeper into your data in the new year. But for now, Nathan, thank you again for sharing your experiences and insights today. That was Dr. Nathan Lewis of the Novo Nordisk Foundation Center for Biosustainability at UCSD in San Diego. He'll be speaking at the Recombinant Protein Expression and Production and CHO sales conferences at the upcoming Pep Talk, which runs January 19th through the 23rd in San Diego. If you'd like to hear him in person, go to www.chi-peptalk.com for registration information and enter the key code podcast. I'm Ann Nguyen. Thank you for listening.